Chapter Six, Part Two, of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume One, by John Fox. Edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter 6. An Account of the Persecutions in Italy under the Papacy. Part 2. Account of the Persecutions in the Valleys of Piedmont. Many of the Waldenses, to avoid the persecutions to which they were continually subjected in France, went and settled in the valleys of Piedmont, where they increased exceedingly and flourished very much for a considerable time. Though they were harmless in their behaviour, inoffensive in their conversation, and paid tithes to the Roman clergy, yet the latter could not be contented, but wished to give them some disturbance. They, accordingly, complained to the Archbishop of Turin that the Waldenses of the valleys of Piedmont were heretics, for these reasons. Number 1. That they did not believe in the doctrines of the Church of Rome. Number 2. That they made no offerings or prayers for the dead. Number 3 that they did not go to Mass. Number four, that they did not confess and receive absolution. Number five, that they did not believe in purgatory or pay money to get the souls of their friends out of it. Upon these charges, the Archbishop ordered a persecution to be commenced, and many fell martyrs to the superstitious rage of the priests and monks. At Turin, one of the Reformed had his bowels torn out, and put in a basin before his face, where they remained in his view until he expired. At Revel, Caitlin Girard, being at the stake, desired the executioner to give him a stone, which he refused, thinking that he meant to throw it at somebody. But Girard, assuring him that he had no such design, the executioner complied. When Girard, looking earnestly at the stone, said, When it is in the power of a man to eat and digest this solid stone, the religion for which I am about to suffer shall have an end, and not before. He then threw the stone on the ground, and submitted cheerfully to the flames. A great many more of the reformed were oppressed or put to death by various means, until the patience of the Waldenses being tired out, they flew to arms in their own defence, and formed themselves into regular bodies. Exasperated at this, the Bishop of Turin procured a number of troops, and sent against them, but in most of the skirmishes and engagements the Waldenses were successful, which partly arose from their being better acquainted with the passes of the valleys of Piedmont than their adversaries, and partly from the desperation with which they fought, for they well knew, if they were taken, they should not be considered as prisoners of war, but tortured to death as heretics. At length, Philip the Seventh, Duke of Savoy and Supreme Lord of Piedmont, determined to interpose his authority and stop these bloody wars, which so greatly disturbed his dominions. He was not willing to disoblige the Pope, or affront the Archbishop of Turin. Nevertheless, he sent them both messages, importing that he could not any longer tamely see his dominions overrun with troops, who were directed by priests instead of officers, and commanded by prelates instead of generals. Nor would he suffer his country to be depopulated, while he himself had not been even consulted upon the occasion. The priests, finding the resolution of the duke, 
did all they could to prejudice his mind against the Waldenses. But the Duke told them, that though he was unacquainted with the religious tenets of these people, yet he had always found them quiet, faithful, and obedient, and therefore he determined they should no longer be persecuted. The priests now had recourse to the most palpable and absurd falsehoods. They assured the Duke that he was mistaken in the Waldenses, for they were a wicked set of people, and highly addicted to intemperance, uncleanness, blasphemy, adultery, incest, and many other abominable crimes and that they were even monsters in nature, for their children were born with black throats, with four rows of teeth, and bodies all over hairy. The Duke was not so devoid of common sense as to give credit to what the priests said, though they affirmed in the most solemn manner the truth of their assertions. He, however, sent twelve very learned and sensible gentlemen into the Piedmontese valleys to examine into the real character of the inhabitants. These gentlemen, after travelling through all their towns and villages, and conversing with people of every rank among the Waldenses, returned to the Duke, and gave him the most favourable account of these people, affirming, before the faces of the priests who vilified them, that they were harmless, inoffensive, loyal, friendly, industrious, and pious, that they abhorred the crimes of which they were accused, and that, should any individual, through his depravity, fall into any of these crimes, he would, by their laws, be punished in the most exemplary manner. With respect to the children, the gentleman said, the priests had told the most gross and ridiculous falsities, for they were neither born with black throats, teeth in their mouths, nor hair on their bodies, but were as fine children as could be seen. And to convince your highness of what we have said, continued one of the gentlemen, we have brought twelve of the principal male inhabitants, who are come to ask pardon in the name of the rest, for having taken up arms without your leave, though even in their own defence, and to preserve their lives from their merciless enemies. And we have likewise brought several women, with children of various ages, that your highness may have an opportunity of personally examining them as much as you please. The duke, after accepting the apology of the twelve delegates, conversing with the women, and examining the children, graciously dismissed them. He then commanded the priests who had attempted to mislead him, immediately to leave the court, and gave strict orders that the persecution should cease throughout his dominions. The Waldenses had enjoyed peace many years, when Philip the seventh Duke of Savoy died, and his successor happened to be a very bigoted papist. About the same time some of the principal Waldenses proposed that their clergy should preach in public, that every one might know the purity of their doctrines, for hitherto they had preached only in private and to such congregations as they well knew to consist of none but persons of the reformed religion. On hearing these proceedings, the new duke was greatly exasperated, and sent a considerable body of troops into the valleys, swearing that if the people would not change their religion, he would have them flayed alive. The commander of the troops soon found the impracticability of conquering them with the number of men he had with him. He therefore sent word to the duke that the idea of subjugating the Waldenses with so small a force was ridiculous, that those people were better acquainted with the country than any that were with him, that they had secured all the passes, were well armed, and resolutely determined to defend themselves, and with respect to flaying them alive, he said, that every skin belonging to those people would cost him the lives of a dozen of his subjects. Terrified at this information, the duke withdrew the troops, determining to act not by force, but by stratagem. He therefore ordered rewards for the taking of any of the Waldenses, who might be found straying from their places of security, and these, when taken, were either flayed alive or burnt. 
The Waldenses had hitherto only had the New Testament and a few books of the Old in the Waldensian tongue, but they determined now to have the sacred writings complete in their own language. They therefore employed a Swiss printer to furnish them with a complete edition of the Old and New Testaments in the Waldensian tongue, which he did for the consideration of fifteen hundred crowns of gold, paid him by those pious people. Pope Paul III, a bigoted papist, ascending the pontifical chair, immediately solicited the Parliament of Turin to persecute the Waldenses, as the most pernicious of all heretics. The Parliament readily agreed, when several were suddenly apprehended and burnt by their order. Among these was Bartholomew Hector, a bookseller and stationer of Turin, who was brought up a Roman Catholic, but having read some treatises written by the Reformed clergy, was fully convinced of the errors of the Church of Rome. Yet his mind was for some time wavering, and he hardly knew what persuasion to embrace. At length, however, he fully embraced the Reformed religion, and was apprehended, as we have already mentioned, and burnt by order of the Parliament of Turin. A consultation was now held by the Parliament of Turin, in which it was agreed to send deputies to the valleys of Piedmont with the following propositions. Number one, that if the Waldenses would come to the bosom of the Church of Rome and embrace the Roman Catholic religion, they should enjoy their houses, properties, and lands, and live with their families without the least molestation. Number two, that to prove their obedience they should send twelve of their principal persons, with all their ministers and schoolmasters, to Turin, to be dealt with at discretion. Number three, that the Pope, the King of France, and the Duke of Savoy approved of and authorized the proceedings of the Parliament of Turin upon this occasion. Number four, that if the Waldenses of the valleys of Piedmont refused to comply with these propositions, persecution should ensue, and certain death be their portion. To each of these propositions the Waldenses nobly replied in the following manner, answering them respectively. Number one, that no considerations whatever should make them renounce their religion. Number two, that they would never consent to commit their best and most respectable friends to the custody and discretion of their worst and most inveterate enemies. Number three, that they valued the approbation of the King of Kings who reigns in heaven more than any temporal authority. Number four, that their souls were more precious than their bodies. These pointed and spirited replies greatly exasperated the Parliament of Turin. They continued, with more avidity than ever, to kidnap such Waldenses as did not act with proper precaution, who were sure to suffer the most cruel deaths. Among these, it unfortunately happened that they got hold of Geoffrey Varnagel, minister of Angron, whom they committed to the flames as a heretic. They then solicited a considerable body of troops of the King of France, in order to exterminate the reformed entirely from the valleys of Piedmont. But just as the troops were going to march, the Protestant princes of Germany interposed, and threatened to send troops to assist the Waldenses if they should be attacked. The King of France, not caring to enter into a war, remanded the troops, and sent word to the Parliament of Turin that he could not spare any troops at present to act in Piedmont. The members of the Parliament were greatly vexed at this disappointment, and the persecution gradually ceased, for as they could only put to death such of the reformed as they caught by chance, and as the Waldenses daily grew more cautious, their cruelty was obliged to subside, for want of objects on whom to exercise it. After the Waldenses had enjoyed a few years' tranquillity, they were again disturbed by the following means. 
the Pope's nuncio coming to Turin to the Duke of Savoy upon business, told that prince he was astonished he had not yet either rooted out the Waldenses from the valleys of Piedmont entirely, or compelled them to enter into the bosom of the church, that he could not help looking upon such conduct with a suspicious eye, and that he really thought him a favourer of those heretics, and should report the affair accordingly to His Holiness the Pope. Stung by this reflection, and unwilling to be misrepresented to the Pope, the Duke determined to act with the greatest severity, in order to show his zeal, and to make amends former neglect by future cruelty. He accordingly issued express orders for all of the Waldenses to attend Mass regularly on pain of death. This they absolutely refused to do, on which he entered the Piedmontese valleys with a formidable body of troops, and began a most furious persecution, in which great numbers were hanged, drowned, ripped open, tied to trees, and pierced with prongs, thrown from precipices, burnt, stabbed, racked to death, crucified with their heads downwards, worried by dogs, etc. Those who fled had their goods plundered, and their houses burnt to the ground. They were particularly cruel when they caught a minister or a schoolmaster, whom they put to such exquisite tortures as are almost incredible to conceive. If any whom they took seemed wavering in their faith, they did not put them to death, but sent them to the galleys, to be made converts by dint of hardships. The most cruel persecutors upon this occasion that attended the duke were three in number, viz. 1. Thomas Incomel, an apostate, for he was brought up in the reformed religion, but renounced his faith, embraced the errors of popery, and turned monk. He was a great libertine, given to unnatural crimes, and sordidly solicitous for plunder of the Waldenses. 2. Corbis, a man of a very ferocious and cruel nature, whose business was to examine the prisoners. 3. The Provost of Justice, who was very anxious for the execution of the Waldenses, as every execution put money in his pocket. These three persons were unmerciful to the last degree, and wherever they came the blood of the innocent was sure to flow. Exclusive of these cruelties exercised by the Duke, by these three persons and the army in their different marches, many local barbarities were committed. At Pignerol, a town in the valleys, was a monastery, the monks of which, finding they might injure the reformed with impunity, began to plunder the houses and pull down the churches of the Waldenses. Not meeting with any opposition, they seized upon the persons of those unhappy people, murdering the men, confining the women, and putting the children to Roman Catholic nurses. The Roman Catholic inhabitants of the valley of St. Martin, likewise, did all they could to torment the labouring Waldenses. They destroyed their churches, burnt their houses, seized their properties, stole their cattle, converted their lands to their own use, committed their ministers to the flames, and drove the Waldenses to the woods, where they had nothing to subsist on but wild roots, the bark of trees, etc. Some Roman Catholic ruffians, having seized a minister as he was going to preach, determined to take him to a convenient place and burn him. His parishioners, having intelligence of this affair, the men armed themselves, pursued the ruffians, and seemed determined to rescue their minister, which the ruffians no sooner perceived than they stabbed the poor gentleman, and leaving him weltering in his blood, made a precipitate retreat. The astonished parishioners did all they could to recover him, but in vain, for the weapon had touched the vital parts, and he expired as they were carrying him home. The monks of Pignerol, having a great inclination, to get the minister of a town in the valleys, called Saint-Germain, into their power, hired a band of ruffians for the purpose of apprehending him. 
These fellows were conducted by a treacherous person, who had formerly been a servant to the clergyman, and who perfectly well knew a secret way to the house, by which he could lead them without alarming the neighbourhood. The guide knocked at the door, and being asked who was there, answered in his own name. The clergyman, not expecting any injury from a person on whom he had heaped favours, immediately opened the door, but perceiving the ruffians, he started back and fled to a back door. But they rushed in, followed and seized him. Having murdered all his family, they made him proceed towards Pignerol, goading him all the way with pikes, lances, swords, etc. He was kept a considerable time in prison, and then fastened to the stake to be burnt. When two women of the Waldenses, who had renounced their religion to save their lives, were ordered to carry faggots to the stake to burn him, and as they laid them down to say, Take these, thou wicked heretic, in recompense for the pernicious doctrines thou hast taught us. These words they both repeated to him, to which he calmly replied, I formerly taught you well, but you have since learned ill. The fire was then put to the faggots, and he was speedily consumed, calling upon the name of the Lord, as long as his voice permitted. As the troops of ruffians belonging to the monks did great mischief about the town of Saint-Germain, murdering and plundering many of the inhabitants, the reformed of Lucerne and Angron sent some bands of armed men to the assistance of their brethren of Saint-Germain. These bodies of armed men frequently attacked the ruffians and often put them to rout, which so terrified the monks that they left the monastery of Pignerol for some time, until they could procure a body of regular troops to guard them. The duke, not thinking himself so successful as he at first imagined he should be, greatly augmented his forces. He ordered the bands of ruffians belonging to the monks to join him, and commanded that a general jail delivery should take place, providing the persons released would bear arms and form themselves into light companies, to assist in the extermination of the Waldenses. The Waldenses, being informed of the proceedings, secured as much of their properties as they could, and quitted the valleys, retired to the rocks and caves among the Alps, for it is to be understood that the valleys of Piedmont are situated at the foot of those prodigious mountains called the Alps, or the Alpine Hills. The army now began to plunder and burn the towns and villages wherever they came, but the troops could not force the passes to the Alps, which were gallantly defended by the Waldenses, who always repulsed their enemies. But if any fell into the hands of the troops, they were sure to be treated with the most barbarous severity. A soldier, having caught one of the Waldenses, bit his right ear off, saying, I will carry this member of that wicked heretic with me into my own country, and preserve it as a rarity. He then stabbed the man and threw him into a ditch. A party of the troops found a venerable man, upwards of a hundred years of age, together with his granddaughter, a maiden of about eighteen, in a cave. They butchered the poor old man in the most inhuman manner, and then attempted to ravish the girl, when she started away and fled from them, but they pursuing her, she threw herself from a precipice and perished. In order the more effectually to be able to repel force by force, entered into a league with the Protestant powers of Germany, and with the reformed of Dauphiny and Pagela. These were respectively to furnish bodies of troops, and the Waldenses determined, when thus reinforced, to quit the mountains of the Alps, where they must soon have perished as the winter was coming on and to force the duke's army to evacuate their native valleys. The Duke of Savoy was now tired of the war. It had cost him great fatigue and anxiety of mind, a vast number of men, and very considerable sums of money. 
it had been much more tedious and bloody than he expected, as well as more expensive than he could at first have imagined, for he thought the plunder would have discharged the expenses of the expedition. But in this he was mistaken, for the Pope's nuncio, the bishops, monks, and other ecclesiastics who attended the army and encouraged the war, sunk the greatest part of the wealth that was taken under various pretenses. For these reasons, and the death of his duchess, of which he had just received intelligence, and fearing that the Waldenses, by the treaties they had entered into, would become more powerful than ever, he determined to return to Turin with his army, and to make peace with the Waldenses. This resolution he executed, though greatly against the will of the ecclesiastics, who were the chief gainers, and the best pleased with revenge. Before the articles of peace could be ratified, the duke himself died, soon after his return to Turin, but on his deathbed he strictly enjoined his son to perform what he intended, and to be as favourable as possible to the Waldenses. The duke's son, Charles Emmanuel, succeeded to the dominions of Savoy, and gave a full ratification of peace to the Waldenses, according to the last injunctions of his father, though the ecclesiastics did all they could to persuade him to the contrary. End of chapter 6, part 2